accomplish. And so I ask, especially during this four months, that you give Joel freedom from this. Give him a clear understanding of how much you love him without any effort on his part at all. I ask you to answer his inner questions as he takes time to be still and listen. And as he lets go of the weekly patterns of ministry, allow him to discover new ways of being in tune with you. Give him vision and new focus that draws him forward to what you have in mind for him. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Thanks. Uh, John and I actually went to school together for a couple of years in, uh, in Tacoa for two years. We were there, both communications majors, end up being pastors and all kinds of things. So roads all kinds of converge and go back and forth. Kind of neat to see how it works. Go ahead and reach in your program guide. Pull out your notes this morning and get ready to take some notes on Heat of the Moment Grace, which is part three in our series that we've been doing on grace, started on Easter. We're in part three this morning, Heat of the Moment Grace, talking about how grace provides a pathway out of times when we are tempted to give in. We are tempted to give in to sin and its lure and to Satan's voice in our life. We can look to the, uh, to the model of Jesus Christ who was tempted. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus was tempted in the desert, but how did he resist temptation? What were the things that helped him find a pathway out and not give in to temptation, okay? Now, this morning you were all given a Hershey kiss when you came in. Did everybody have that? Anybody missing their Hershey kiss? You ate it already. You already gave in to temptation. You're that weak. Okay, if you don't have a Hershey kiss, put it up because... We wanted to greet each other with a holy kiss this morning. No, it's not why we're doing that. Um, I just thought I'd throw that corny joke in. Uh, lots of jokes, and they don't get any better than that. Okay? What I want you to do is put that Hershey kiss on your knee right now, and I want you to take a close look at it as you put it there. I want you to kind of think for a moment about maybe the last time that you ate a piece of chocolate or a Hershey kiss and what it felt like, what it tasted like. Okay, just want you to think about that for a moment. Take a good look at it. Then I want you to just leave it there and look back up at me, okay? All right, some of you are really fixated on that Hershey kiss this morning. Did your neighbor just steal it off your knee? It's pretty bad when it happens, right? You know, the Bible reminds us that every one of us faces temptation, everyone is tempted. So we can't think this. We do think this, but I'm telling you to dismiss this thought. We have this thought that I'm the only one who's ever been tempted in this way. I'm the only one who's ever been through this set of circumstances. And so no one else will understand. So I can't share my temptation with anybody else. That is the first way of thinking that gets us stuck in temptation. And when we wind up giving in, when we get on our own, think that nobody else understands. And Satan loves that. He loves to get us on our own and pick us off. And so when you start to think that, man, no one else will understand, no one else has gone through this, there's no one else I can share, listen to what the Word of God says. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from those that others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out 
so that you can endure. I want us to read that last phrase together. Let's read it together. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Okay, some of you were too focused on the Hershey kiss. Get your eyes up here. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now I want you to pick up that Hershey kiss and I want you to unwrap it just a little bit on the top. I want you to sniff it. Yeah. Okay, now I want you just to nibble just the littlest part off the top of that Hershey kiss. Yeah. Okay. Now I want you to put it back on your knee. Not just the wrapper, the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I want to define temptation. Temptation is the lure to make moral judgments. And by moral judgments, I mean decisions between that which is good and evil without consulting God. Without consulting God. So making judgments between good and evil without consulting God. So when I say moral, I'm not just using that in the sense of sexual Often in our culture, when we use the word moral, we jump right to sexual. But I'm talking about any decision between good and evil, big or small, any right or wrong decision that you would be needing to make, but then you don't consult God about. That is temptation. Being tempted not to consult God and making that decision on your own, okay? When we do this, we take the place of God in decision-making. We don't ask for his wisdom. We don't look for his presence. Now I want you to take back up that Hershey kiss again. And I want you to look at it one more time. How long in the service do you think you could sit there without eating that Hershey kiss? If I had told you just, if I didn't say anything at the beginning, if I hadn't introduced it to you, would it be gone by now? Yeah, someone's confessing. It would be gone right now. How many of you are in the gone right now category? Be gone by now. Okay. How many of you halfway through the service, you would have some chocolate, incriminating chocolate? How many of you would wait till the end of the service, take it home? How many would act like you're going to the restroom and go out in the lobby and eat it? (laughs) How many of you just plop it into your coffee and make a little mocha out of that, right? Yeah. Okay. You can go ahead and eat the thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. You guys are dying to eat that thing. Go ahead. Eat it. Live it up. Ha! You caved. (laughs) Just joking. Go ahead and eat the chocolate. The point is this. The temptation is nothing new. And every one of us in this room, really, whether we like chocolate or not, I mean, I could have put a Reese's cup on there, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone would have caved then, right? Everybody knows that that was what manna was in the desert. It's a Reese's cup or a peanut butter egg. Pretty sure from the archaeological evidence. You know, Adam and Eve had the ultimate environment for connection with God. The ultimate environment where they could consult him all the time, 24-7, on decisions. Yet they, they committed original sin. An original sin is making choices between good and evil without consulting God. That's what it is. And we're tempted 
to commit sin again and again and again, that same type of original sin. Make choices without consulting God. You know, they, they caved in the heat of the moment. They gave in to the tempter. They decided no. The tempter told them, oh, you can be just like God. You can know good and evil and make great choices without him. That's the temptation that befalls all of us. You can be like God. You can know good and evil just as well as he does and make great choices without him. And that's the lie, and that's the temptation that comes to us. So if they needed a way out, they needed a way of escape, if they were tempted and they were in the ultimate environment, and we live in the broken environment in this world, right? We live in the broken Eden. We live in a fallen, broken spot that was once perfect. Then we need a way of escape. We need a way of knowing. We need a plan, a pathway to get out. So I want to talk to you this morning, and I want to look at the temptation of Jesus and how Jesus, see, Jesus was the antithesis of Adam. He was the new Adam who was without sin, who was fully God and fully man, who was our role model for us. And so he comes to say, when you're tempted, just like Adam and Eve were, do this. And he sets up an example at the very beginning of his ministry about how to resist temptation. How to resist temptation. So the first point is this. Heat of the, in the heat of the moment, grace illuminates the pathway of escape. In the heat of the moment of temptation, grace illuminates the pathway of escape. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. Listen to that. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. Now we don't know if Jesus was fasting everything because it seems like 40 days and 40 nights he was totally man and totally God that his total man part would have given out. His organs would have started to disintegrate, things like that. So we can conjecture that for some time he may have had some fruit or some water. He might have done something that is called a Daniel fast. In the Old Testament, Daniel, when he fasted, he would not eat the meat, but he would eat fruit and water and some other legumes and things that would give him some protein. Um, but he didn't eat the meat, okay? So we know that Jesus was on some sort of fast or partial fast, and we know from that, we know from that that he has this encounter in the heat of the moment with a tempter. We know that he is physically hungry, okay? But we know this. He was led there by the Holy Spirit. So we know that Jesus is being accompanied by what the Bible tells us is our, the helper who helps us in our time of need. And so Jesus isn't sitting in the desert all by himself. The Holy Spirit is there accompanying him, guiding him, coaching him, enriching him, and for 40 days he fasts in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so his constitution internally is strong. He is not going into a time of temptation without great spiritual strength. And that's what fasting does for us. And that's what the presence of the Holy Spirit does for us. And that's why we need to take time daily and weekly where we slow down and we get into the presence of the Spirit of God. 
And we let him minister to the depths of who we are. And we let him bring his word because temptation is all around us. And so we need that strength in our inner man. The text also tells us that he fasted and prayed for 40 days, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, who had thoroughly, and so he had thoroughly clothed himself in the armor of God. Like I said earlier, he was spiritually strong, spiritually strong. I just watched the uh, movie Lincoln. How many of you watched the movie Lincoln on Abraham Lincoln? But not many? Oh, come on. I'm a history buff, okay? I was a history minor in college, so I like, you guys got to watch that movie. It's a good movie. Um, are, are some of you just lying? Did you watch the movie and you're fibbing about that? Oh, you're, you're anti-Semitic. You don't like Spielberg. Is that it? Okay. That was a joke. Sorry. <laughs> Obviously not a good one. Okay, I'm watching the movie, and in one part of the movie, the actor who's playing Lincoln says, we have to procure these votes for the Emancipation Proclamation so that we can end the war. And this cabinet is disagreeing with him. He needs three more votes, and they're disagreeing with him. And he stands up, and he puts his fist down on the desk, and he slams it down. That's one of the only times in the movie where you see him kind of acting out in power. And he says, I am the President of the United States. I have been clothed in immense power. And in that moment, something caught my mind's eye, and I thought, that's Jesus. That's Jesus in the, met, in the midst of temptation. Clothed in immense power. He didn't have to give in to it, and neither do you. You can be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, clothed in immense power. You don't have to give in to the tempter. You don't have to lose it. You don't have to make a bad choice morally that you have to pay for for the next 10, 15, 20 years in your life. You can say, no, I'm going to stand in the presence of God until I'm clothed in immense power from on high. So that I do not give in, I don't cave, I don't move an inch without him telling me what to do or where to go or what to think. I have the Holy Spirit. You too can have that Holy Spirit to aid you, guide you, and empower you. Fasting and prayer, spiritual disciplines, get us ready to deal with heat of the moment temptation and to procure his grace in those times. So although Jesus was physically hungry, Satan knew this. He wanted to exploit him. It says, during this time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, notice if he says that, underline that, if you are the son of God. Now, he knows he's the son of God. He knows full well who he's dealing with. If you are the son of God. Satan comes to us and he he knows full well who you are. But he says, well, if you're a child of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, starts to question what? Our identity. Who we are in the core of ourselves. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, again questioning his identity, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they'll hold you up with your hands so you won't even get hurt. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test 
the Lord your God. And so he's saying, if you're questioning my identity, this is who I am. I am the Lord your God, and I am clothed in immense power. I really don't think you want to mess with me. He's saying, I know my identity. See, when we get into times of temptation, we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to capture what it says in Colossians, that we've, our life is now hidden with Christ in God. That the deepest part of who we are is redeemed children of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not to give in, and to live a holy life until Jesus comes or we go from this world. And we don't need to give in. But Satan does this. He appeals to the ego, doesn't he? He even appeals here. He tries to appeal to Jesus' ego. Come on, Jesus. You're all powerful. You're the son of God. You're all jacked up on prayer and fasting. Come on, show a display of power. Do some miracles. Turn stones into bread. Throw yourself down and have the angels come and aid and guide you. If the Father's really looking out for you, he'll take care of you, right? You know, we're tempted. We're tempted by the evil one to do shows of power, aren't we? Think about it this way. When you get, my father used to use this term, I'm fed up. (laughs) Anybody of you ever get fed up with life? And what are we tempted to do when we're fed up? blow up right we start to think thoughts like if one more person says something to me about that I'm going to tell them off and then we have a better idea I can tell everybody off by getting on the internet (laughs) posting a blog right and we do so we lose it We give in to the temptation. We make a bad moral choice and we start flinging our opinions around like they're worth something. And we become this know-it-all person for three minutes on the internet. Ah, glad I got that off my chest. Really? Was it helpful? I set them straight friend, family member, someone you work with, I said that and I set them straight. You just gave in to temptation. You just failed. You just sinned. That issue that needed to be taken care of needed to be taken care of, but you didn't need to set somebody else straight. You may have needed to get something straightened out, but you're not God. And you're not set here on earth to set people straight. And neither am I. And so we have to find ways of backing off of the temptation and saying, how do I have a conversation that's healthy and good with that person? How do I back off of all my emotions and feelings? I'm pretty jacked right now on all this issue with this person or people. How do, you know how you do it? You get away with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit come and spend some time with you, renewing your mind, giving your thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ as an offering to him. Here are my thoughts. 
Take every one of them captive, Lord Jesus Christ. Here are my feelings. Inform every one of them. Here's my person. Lead me in your path so I don't blow it and give in to the heat of the moment temptation. Okay? And so he appeals to our ego. And make no mistake about it, when he comes to us, he's trying to divide us, just like he was Jesus, from our greatest ally, and that's the Father. Satan is great at divide and conquer. He loves it. It's his technique to pick us off, to get us alone, to get us thinking we're the only one going through this. I can't share this with anybody. I can't share this temptation. I can't talk this through with somebody. I don't have a friend in the world who would get this. That's not the truth, because Scripture says what? All temptation is common to all men. We all suffer the same temptations. The truth is you can look at the person right next to you, and they suffer the same temptations you do, because they're a human being, and they're caught between heaven and earth, and between God and Satan. And they're in the same spiritual war that you're in. And so there's no temptation that isn't common to them too. And so you need to find people, trusted friends and associates, godly ones who can pray things through with you, who you can talk to in the heat of the moment so that you don't blow it and run to what are called comfort sins of the soul that comfort us for a moment. That's why it says in the scripture, you know know what comfort sins do? Sins has has its pleasure for a season. That's what a comfort sin is. It comforts us for a season. And then we realize, ah, I'm caught, I'm ensnared. I'm caught in sin because I gave in. There's a cycle of giving in and giving in and giving in. But I notice that Jesus does something very interesting. Uh, Every time Satan opens his mouth, Jesus takes some scripture and he balls it up and he throws it into that liar's mouth. He says, look, I'm not standing here on my own. Matter of fact, I'm not standing here, what does he say? On bread and water. I'm standing here on the word of God, the bread of life. And so every time that Satan comes after us, we need to know the scripture. We need to know the word of God. We need to wear it out so it wears into us. We need to hide God's word in our hearts so that we will not, what? Not sin against God is the rest of that verse. We need to soak in it, marinate in it. Summer's coming. You know what I love to do? I love to marinate things. I like to mar- I marinate hamburgers, for Pete's sake. I make a teriyaki marinade for the hamburgers. I think I like the teriyaki marinade more than I do the burger. Why do I like marinade? Because it soaks in. Because with every bite of that piece of meat, whether it's chicken or pork or beef or whatever it is, With every bite, I can taste the richness of all those spices and all that marinade through it. I'm making you all hungry now, aren't I? Like tempting you guys to go to T.J. Rockwell's afterwards. But I love the taste of it. Why is that? Because it has the same flavor through and through. It has what? Integrity. When something is the same through and through, it has integrity. And that's what the Word of God does when we let it soak in. It causes us to become a person of integrity. To have the same character through and through and through. And so Jesus had marinated, marinated in the word of God. He, it says this in scripture. 
in Psalm 109 about the Word of God. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a light to my path. It lights the pathway out when we're under the oppression of temptation. It lights the way out. The words that are used here, lamp to my feet and light to my path, are about a small oil lamp that would sit at your foot in those times, and it would be a lamp to your feet. You could only see maybe a few feet with a lamp like that. They were about this size. As a matter of fact, this is an artifact from the Holy Land, and this was a small lamp unto your foot. It was a little palm-sized thing. Often in people's homes, there would be little alcoves, and they would be put down low in their home because it would be a lamp to their feet. So when they got up in the evening, if they had to go to the bathroom or they had to do something or if, you know, it got dark in the evening, they would be able to transverse around the house without illuminating the whole home. But they would be able to have safety. And they would go from one lamp and then the next lamp would light the next part of their pathway. And they would take the next step. And that's the way God's word is sometimes in our life. It only illuminates the next step. There are times in our life where we're under temptation And all that we know is, I need not to give in. That's my next step. That's all that's been illumined for me. Or, you know what? I need to hightail it out of this situation. I need to get in my car right now and I need to leave. I need to stop this conversation with this coworker because it's going somewhere it should not go. And I need to get up and recuse myself and just leave and not enter into another conversation with this person at work about that. That's a lamp to your feet. You just know the next thing. All you're hearing God say is, get out. Run. You can't handle it. And then there's a light to your path. A light to your path kind of looks something like this. Can you guys pull that next one up? It was more like a torch. I have tiki torches in my backyard. I like to fill them up with oil and light them, and then I figured out how much the oil was costing me, so I don't light them as often anymore. Like, man, they're really jacking up the price of the tiki torch oil. But I like them, and and they look something like this. Mine just burned kind of at the top, but in that time, a light to your path would have been wrapped with something and then soaked And they were usually put out on the pathways, on the road. The great trunk road or the path was marked by those that came up from Egypt. The great trunk road that during the time of Jesus actually was a great time of transverse in their culture. And it was was lit by these torches. So sometimes the word of God not only is a lamp to your feet and next step, it's a light to your path. Then, Then God puts up a torch and says, now here's a new way. Walk in it. Don't walk in the way of temptation. Walk in this new way with me. Meet with me. Spend time with people in your small group, in your spiritual family. Do these, walk in this pathway so that you're not always walking in this precarious place in the heat of temptation. You need some times where there's a pathway out. Get in my word and soak in it. Be with the people of God. Go to worship and enjoy me all together. Walk in a new pathway. Leave the pathway of temptation, letting my torch light your path. Jesus had 40 days alone with the Father. Ushered in under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he marinated his soul in the Word of God. And the Word of God lit the pathway out of that way, the way of escape for him. 
You know, there's a book, and um, the book was written by uh, Mrs. Johnson. I don't know if you have a cover of the book or not, but um, the book is all about uh, marinating your soul in the Word of God. It's called Savoring God's Word by Jan Johnson, and she wrote it because she realized that we need to do two things with the Word of God, two main practices. We need to study the Word of God, but we also need to meditate on the Word of God. And so in her book, she talks about some of the difference between it. And she's, she's trying to say we need to do both. We need to do both. But in her book, mostly she says, I'm focusing on how to meditate on the Word of God, okay? And so she says this in her book. And so Bible study is very different from Bible meditation. When we study, we dissect the text. When we meditate, we savor the text and enter into it. When we study, we ask questions about the text. When we meditate, we let the text ask questions of us. When we study, we read and compare facts and look at new ways of applying those facts. When we meditate, we read and let God speak to us in the light of the facts that have already been absorbed into our soul. And so she talks about this idea of taking time to meditate on the Word of God. David, who was a man of war and a great leader, wrote the most prominent book in the Bible, the Psalms, about meditation. If a warrior and a leader, a king, has to learn how to be quiet and meditate in order to lead well, how much more do we need it in order to lead our soul well? We need times of quiet and meditation and savoring God's word. I want to tell you, if you've never done this before, you can go to the bookstore this morning before you leave and pick up a copy of this book. As a matter of fact, if you're a small group leader, you might want to pick up enough for your small group. It would be a great study for a small group to do in the summertime, to sit and meditate and soak in and learn, how do I soak in the Word of God? How do I do that? How do I begin to practice not just studying it, but soaking in it? and let it marinate my soul so that it is a light to my path when I'm under temptation. In the heat of the moment, God provides this pathway of escape from temptation. It's kind of this airlift. It's an airlift out of where we're at as we marinate ourselves in the Word of God. Like that Hershey kiss that you ate earlier. The Word of God is to sink in and melt and infuse, and enrich. As a matter of fact, there's places in God's word where it says, your word is like honey on my lips. Lord, your word, I crave it like I would crave the best of chocolates, the most refined things to eat. I look to your word to do the same for me. And so this summer might be a great time for you to learn how to marinate in God's Word, to read the book, to take your Bible, to read through it. Maybe you're someone who just watched the whole Bible series on the History Channel, and you need to read back through the Word of God, but this time just meditate on it. Let it become rich and full to you. Let it become not just information, but transformation for who you are in your walk in this life. There's a pathway out of temptation but we will never see it if we don't turn on the lamp of God's word. And we will be stuck and we will think the only way out is to give in. 
That's not the truth. The only way out is to turn on the light of God's word, retrace your steps back out of that place with the hand of Jesus, and walk in victory. You have been enclosed with immense power when you believed and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Take hold of it. Walk in it. Make the best of it. Make a friend of the Holy Spirit. He will help you out of times of temptation. Heat of the moment grace, number two, rejects the tempter's advances. It rejects the tempter's advances. It says in Scripture, Matthew 4, that next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give this all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and you must serve him only. Notice what happens here. Satan makes advances on Jesus and he wants the Son of God to swear allegiance to him, giving up his allegiance to the Father and to the Godhead. He wants to break apart the team, the family, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, because Satan knows that he cannot win against that team. And he wants to divide and conquer once again. So he says to Jesus, swear allegiance to me and I will give you. And then he makes promises he can't keep. He can't keep that promise. He doesn't own. He has influence over the kingdoms of the earth, but he did not establish them or set them up. According to God's word, God did. And he does not have the authority to give them over to anybody because he's not in charge of them. And Satan will lie to you too. And he will make promises to you. He will say to you, abandon that relationship with your spouse. Abandon it and live your life to make yourself happy. And I will give you peace and happiness. And you will never have it because he can't provide it. Abandon your family. Abandon your friend, that friendship that's so hard to work out. You just don't understand each other anymore. Abandon that friendship. Abandon that job that's going so hard and difficult. and Just move on to the easier place. I'll give you great joy. Abandon anything that's hard in life. And you know what will happen? You'll become a person of no character, no integrity. But if you stand up under temptation... In the power of God, he will make you like his son, Jesus Christ. Not just with words, but with deeds. Not just out here, but in your interior of your soul. You will become like his son. You will be empowered to walk in this world and to live out his mission until Jesus comes to rescue you or he takes you home. You don't have to give in. And he can't provide what he's promising anyhow. That sin will only have a pleasure for a season. And then it will eat you alive from the inside out. And that was his plan all along. To eat you alive from the inside out. He came what? Does the word of God say? To kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. He wants us to pledge our allegiance to him and abandon our allegiance to God, our maker. 
And he lures us in by making promises that he can't keep to us. The Bible has a term for this type of luring in. The Apostle Paul called it following the influence of a deceiving spirit. Following the influence of a deceiving spirit. Now before you just write me off as some sort of kook here, you need to know that if we were able to pull back the curtain, which like the book of Ephesians kind of does that for us, lets us know there's a spiritual war going on behind here. There's all kinds of stuff going on I don't know about, but it's connected with my life. I was reading a book the last couple weeks by um, Dr. Neil Anderson. He's written a lot of stuff. He, he's founded Freedom in Christ Ministries. How many of you have ever heard of Freedom in Christ Ministries? Uh, if you haven't, just Google Dr. Neil Anderson. It's great stuff out there. Um, and he wrote a book called Liberating Prayer, Finding Freedom by Connecting with God. I just finished Mark Batterson's book on prayer, and so I wanted to pick up another one. And so I, I picked up this one because a friend of mine had just, just emailed me the day that I stopped. It wasn't coincidence that a friend of mine emailed me the same day and said, hey, here's a really good book on prayer. And he didn't even know I was reading the other one. So I thought, well, maybe this is God lighting my path. And so I picked up the book, and I thought, I've read a lot of Neil Anderson's books. I have his posters on my wall in my office. I have all kinds of stuff from Dr. Neil Anderson. What new can I learn from Dr. Neil Anderson? So I started reading the book, and I came upon this passage in the book that talks about at times how we're following or we're tempted to follow deceiving spirits. He says this in his book. If you don't assume responsibility for your thoughts, you may end up paying attention to a deceiving spirit. As Paul warned us, the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things caught, taught by demons. 1 Timothy 4.1 Paul also wrote, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds have been led astray from the simplicity and purity and devotion to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3 And then he goes on and on in that chapter of the book, to cite chapter and verse, chapter and verse, chapter and verse about this whole deceiving spirit deal. And here's what happens. We start to think, we're tempted, and we start to think, no one else is tempted the same way I am. I can't talk to anybody else about this. And so we reclude. And then we take that thought and we just ruminate on it. And rum Nobody understands me. Nobody respects me. No one understands what I'm going through. I'm the only one here. And it becomes this despondent spiral down to the point where I just need something to comfort me in this moment. I just need a drink or five. I just need some pornography. I just need to go back to that person I've been having this adulterous affair on the side with. I just need to eat a lot of food and gorge myself tonight where no one can see because that's my comfort sin. I just need to know what I need to stand up for myself and just tell somebody off. Maybe that's your default pattern. Maybe that's your comfort sin. I just need to be in control. Maybe that's your comfort sin, control. But that's what happens when we follow the line of thinking of a deceiving spirit that deceives us, gets us alone, 
makes us think things that aren't true and then picks us off in our mind. The only way that I know to fight back is by getting into the presence of God and filling my mind with truth. The other way I know how to fight back is to tell a close friend, hey, I'm, de- I'm really tempted sore by this one. You know what I've been thinking? I've been thinking I'm the only one. You know what my partners say to me and my accountability partners say to me? They laugh and they go, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing yesterday. I'm so glad you called. I was thinking I was the only one too. And we sit and we talk and we pray and we encourage. And we say, hey, let's look at this. Let's get up on the balcony and look at this a little differently through the word of God, through our relationship with him. Pretty soon we're enjoying fellowship and I'm released for the temptation. I'm released from that temptation to make a choice between good and evil without the input of God. I have a piece of artwork on my wall that came from Neil Anderson's uh, ministry. It's called Who I Am in Christ. And it says, it has four big slogans on it. And uh, you're not going to be able to see it, so I'm going to pass it around to you. I'm sure you'll all be able to look at it before the end of the... I am going to pass it around. Try not to break it. It cost me a dollar. It's cost a buck on the internet, right? Went out and got this at some place for a couple dollars. Altogether, this thing's worth $555 if you break it, and it cost me 10 But it reminds me, it, it hangs in my office wall where my degrees are. But it's the highest one on the wall. I did that to remind myself this is my most prominent and most deep identity of who I am. Those other degrees mark hard work I did, things I learned, sacrifices that I made and my family made for me to learn and grow. But the most prominent thing and the highest thing in that wall is a degree that the Lord Jesus Christ hands to all of us when we become his children. Who I am in Christ, I am accepted. I am God's child. I'm his disciple. I'm a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm secure. I'm free from condemnation. I'm assured that God works in me and through me in all circumstances. I'm significant. I'm part of the branch of Christ. I'm a true vine. I'm a channel of his life. And I am free. And there are times where I walk over to that wall and I just lay my hands on this. And I say, that's true of me. Infuse me in this moment with power from you to live that out so that I don't give in to temptation and become another train wreck in this life. I want you to take a couple minutes to pass that around. You can look at it kind of hefty. If you break it, you owe me $550. Says, uh, says in scripture that God gives us even more grace to stand up against such evil desires as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil And he will flee from you. There are times, and I need a tissue. I did not bring any up here with me. Sorry. Thank you. Take a break and talk to your neighbor while I blow my nose.
they're just not. I'm going to tell off the guy who made that box of tissues wrong. Never a more humbling experience than to blow your nose in front of the congregation. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for that humbling moment. But heat of the moment grace illuminates the pathway of escape and helps us reject the advances of the evil one. But heat of the moment grace, number three, provides rest in God's presence. You know, we've talked about a lot of standing up, a lot of girding your sword on your thigh for the cause of righteousness. I used to have a small group leader, and every week we'd walk in, and the guy would stand up and make us all of us stand up. He said, gird your sword on your thigh for the cause of righteousness. And he was six foot four, 320 pounds, and had played semi-pro football. And when he said that, we all just took our Bible and put it on our thigh. Whatever you say, we'll do it. But it was a great reminder And there's times where you need to remind Satan, get away from me. Bug off. Get out. Leave me alone. Cease and desist. Because I'm a child of God and I'm kept by his hand. And you're the author of lies and I dismiss you in the name and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will even pray that out loud at times. Because I not only need to hear it in here, I need to hear it out there so it becomes real in here too. Get away from me. Jesus did it. He said it out loud. And he was in a desert with just him and Satan. He could have just said, read my mind. He didn't. He said it out loud. It's recorded in God's word. But then he entered into a time of rest. It says, then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. I tried to do all kinds of word studies on what does take care of mean there, what does... And, the only thing I could figure out was it meant take care of. I would like to say this word always meant this, and I looked up this, and the etymology of it is this, and that, and the other thing. It actually means just to come and take intimate care, to come and rest with somebody and be with somebody and take care of them. And that's what God wants to do for us. When we've been tempted and we don't give in and then we we make the right choice and we call on him and he helps us make that right choice. He wants us to rest and sometimes we just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. God says, get in the hammock. Take a break. Get some rest. He tells us to do it weekly. There's no no wonder that he set up Sabbath rest because he knew that we would go through times of temptation during the week and we had times where we just... We stop, rest, we delight, and we contemplate. That's what you do in Sabbath rest. You stop, you rest, you delight, and you contemplate. That's what the Sabbath was established for, according to Jewish people. But you know, a few times do I consider that rest is a tool to fend off the darts of the evil one. But think about it. If you're well-rested, if you're well-rested, you're on the top of your game, aren't you? Do you ever wake up certain days and go, man, that was a good night's rest? I don't know why, I'm just on top of things. My son came home the other night, and he had been working, and she works at Chick-fil-A. 
Uh, you know, he's a student, but he works there as a part-time job, and he had to work in the evening and do the closing shift. So when he does the closing shift, he doesn't get home till about 11 o'clock. And he came up, and he's sipping on some soda, and he walks in the room, and usually he walks in with his tail between, he's like, man, I'm just dead. He said, I don't know what it is, but I just feel good today. And I said, great, it's 11 o'clock, get out of my room. <laughs> no, I didn't. I let him have a chair there right next to our bed. He sat down. He just started talking about it. I said, well, what made it good? Well, I don't know. I just feel good about today. There's certain days where you just feel good about it. God wants to give you times of rest, even daily, where you feel good about the rest of the day. He wants to give you one out of seven so you get, and you feel good about the rest of the week. He wants us to be rested. I'm going into his time of what? Sabbatical, which is based on this whole idea of Sabbath rest. So that, what? I can get re-energized, retooled. I can get rested. So that I go, wow. This is a great thing to serve the Lord. I love what I do. I love my calling. We all need times of rest so that we're strong. Have you considered that just like the rest of life needs that healthy interchange of rest and work, that you need that even when it comes to temptation, that you need times to go, oh, made it through that one. Got out of that one. Jesus, bring it. Bring a time where you set up the hammock of God and I sit down and you and I just sit here and enjoy each other's presence. I love it where it says in Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I won't be shaken. I love that. Truly my soul finds rest where? In God. The hammock of God. Laying there, taking him in, basking in him. Taking time to get out of the work of life and get into the balcony, so to speak. See what's really going on. And having the master take care of us. God wants to take care of us. When's the last time you just released yourself into God's care? You said, man, this has been a rough road. And I've relied on you. And I've made the choices you wanted me to make. I just want to rest in your care today. I just want to stop, and I want to rest, and I want to delight in you, and I want to contemplate who you are and be with you. That's what rest is about. In the heat of the moment, we're tempted to give in. But listen to this. God does provide a pathway of escape. The temptations in your life are no different from the other ones that others experience, and God is faithful He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I want you to drop your chin to your chest and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to rest in the Lord in these moments. Listen to the words of God as I speak them over you. Let them touch your very soul. Truly. My soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
Lord, we thank you for providing a pathway of escape in the heat of the moment. Lord, we commit to submit all of our thoughts to your authority so that you can take them captive and show us any pattern of thought that is not from you. Lord, your word is true. My soul finds true rest in you. My salvation comes from you. Truly, you are my rock and my salvation. You alone are the fortress for my soul, and I take refuge in you. Even in times of great temptation, and especially then, Lord, I will not be shaken, for I put my trust in you. Lead me into your rest, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
God's word says that he fails us not. He's there for us in the heat of the moment of temptation, just in the nick of time. He's there for us to deliver us, to illuminate that way out. Uh, This morning as we're uh, responding, pull out your response card and get ready to respond. As we're responding, if whoever has my artwork could repent and bring it back up here. I do need that for the next service. So if you could bring that up here, I would appreciate that. Just bring it up and put it to the side here during the next song. That would be great. For the rest of you, if you would uh, consider maybe just writing one of three words, uh, light, reject, or rest on your card this morning. Or maybe all three. Maybe you need to do all three of these. But maybe this morning you realize, I I need to illumine my path with God's word. Kind of put that on a shelf and it's not lighting my feet or lighting my pathway. And I need to do that so I can see the pathway of escape. I've been giving into temptation far too much. Just write light on there. If you need to just reject the tempter outright, reject, write reject on there. If you need to just rest, if you kind of like, are like me, you need some rest. You need a time of sabbatical. You need to institute Sabbath each week in your life and get some rest. Write rest on there. Take a couple moments to do that. If none of those three words work for you and something else does, write it down. Whatever works for you to respond to God this morning, take a couple moments to do that right now.